Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In the heart of the Sioux Tribes Reservation, amidst the sprawling beauty of the Native American woods I reside, my raven black hair cascades down my shoulders, and my piercing brown eyes hold a mix of determination and weariness. I possess a deep connection to my ancestors and the land, but I also know that these woods hold secrets darker than the shadows themselves. Stories whispered through the reservation tell of strange and elusive creatures, cryptids said to roam the outskirts of our land. Tales of dogmen, Bigfoot, and crawlers echo among our community, weaving an air of unease and caution. I have heard the accounts of those who claim to have glimpsed these creatures, their encounters shrouded in fear and mystery, 
As a troubled journalist, I can't help but be drawn to the unsettling. When several young Native American women went missing in the nearby small town, I felt an undeniable pull to uncover the truth. The disappearances cast a dark cloud over our reservation, filling the hearts of our community with sorrow and fear. Determined to bring justice to the missing women, I embark on an investigation that leads me to the town library. Buried among dusty shelves, I discover an old history book that holds a chilling tale. Within its pages lay the legend of an unknown predator, whispered among our tribe as the Wendigo. According to the book, the Wendigo emerges from the shadows every ten years, drawn to the fear and despair of its victims. Seeking guidance and answers, I seek out the wisdom of our local shaman. I share my findings with him, convinced that the Wendigo is responsible for the disappearances. The shaman, acknowledging my courage, hands me a small vial filled with a toxic fluid. He explains that I must throw it upon the Wendigo when it reveals itself. Armed with the shaman's gift, I wait vigilantly for the Wendigo to appear once again. But as the moon rises high in the night sky, the chilling presence fails to manifest. Consumed by an unrelenting determination, I venture alone into the depths of the Native American woods. A piercing scream tears through the silence, echoing within the trees. I race towards the source, my heart pounding in my chest. There I stumble upon a horrifying scene, a lifeless native woman lying on the forest floor, her flesh being devoured by the monstrous Wendigo. Fear grips me as the creature turns its attention to me, eyes glowing with an insatiable hunger. It lunges at me, but I lean left and with trembling hands. I throw the toxic fluid upon the Wendigo. The creature writhes in pain as it burns, reducing to ash before my very eyes. But its remains dissipate into the night, leaving only an eerie emptiness behind. Examining the lifeless form of the young woman, my mind races. This confirms my suspicions. The Wendigo has been responsible for the town's disappearances. Determined to shed light on the truth, I pour my heart and soul into an article, documenting my harrowing experiences and the horrors I have witnessed. Yet, as I submit my article for publication, a nagging doubt creeps within me. Will anyone believe my extraordinary tale? Fearful of being dismissed as a mere storyteller, I hold my breath, hoping that my words will be a beacon of justice for the lost souls and a testament to the unseen terrors lurking within the Native American woods. I grew up out in the wooded country in Illinois, on a short dead-end street ten-plus miles from a town, and there were seven houses in the area spread out on 2.5-acre wooded lots or larger each. There were no large wild animals. There aren't bears or similarly large animals in the region and people didn't meander there or show up lost. Actually, lost folks or large animals wandering around never happened in the twenty years I lived there. So please keep that in mind. When I was a young girl in my early teens, I had a good guy friend a few years older than me who lived next door, Terry. Terry was allowed to go out with his friends much later than I was, and he would sometimes tromp over to my yard after getting home late and throw rocks from the gravel area outside at my window to chat. My bed was right next to the window. I had opened the window and we'd whisper stories and generally talk for a bit. 
My second-story window faced our backyard, and his house was to the side. I could see his house from my window over the shrub trees and walking path to his driveway. I'd often know if he was out. The light was on over the side door entrance. Or already home, the light was off. One time during the summer when my window was open, I heard a car in his driveway dropping him off. I was probably fourteen years old, and it was around midnight. I heard Terry get out of a car and was talking to his friends. Soon his friends pulled away. I softly called out, as loud as I could without waking my parents, asking Terry to stop by and chat. He didn't respond as he probably didn't hear me. Then I came up with the not-so-brilliant idea to sneak outside and scare him. I'd spent many years in the woods and learning how to blend in and be silent. As kids, we'd often sneak around and scare each other. So I silently sneaked down from the second floor and out my back garage door, which led to our backyard below my window, which led to Terry's house off the side through our gravel area, then through a well-worn path through the woods about twenty-five feet long. My parents had put in a gravel pit around the back of the house, probably because nothing much grew due to the shade of the oak trees. There were fourteen-inch oak rounds set out as an uneven stepping path in the gravel, and if you stepped off of the rounds, the crunch of gravel or rocks would give you away. I picked my way expertly and silently across the log rounds facing Terry's house. My eyes got accustomed to the dark, and I didn't see him. Also at that time, I heard the door of his house close and the light going off signaling he went in, likely to bed. I waited a bit, as I thought I saw something move in the woods between our houses, but not on the path we'd always use. If you didn't use the path, there were wild rose and raspberry plants that had thorns and were painful to walk through if you weren't careful. So I thought it was odd that he'd be in the woods, but maybe he wanted to scare me like I was plotting to do to him. But I saw something human-sized and dark-moving, though the woods slow and pausing every once in a while like me. It was coming closer, and I definitely saw it, but it was strange in that it wasn't walking directly to my window to talk. Therefore I hunched down and waited in silence, wondering if I could still startle him. I still thought it was Terry. And he saw me sneak out, and he was trying to scare me. I watched a dark outline of a human figure moving, but then I would lose sight of it in the foliage. It seemed to be stalking slowly and listening, checking every few feet while hiding. So I whispered after losing patience one last time for Terry, but he didn't answer. I got bored of hiding and crouching, so I quietly tippy-toed back to my garage door and went back inside, silently locking up as I went. I snuck back upstairs to my room above the area where I was just standing, crouching. My window was open, and I definitely heard someone something walking around the yard. I whispered again for Terry out my window, but got no answer. And I heard someone, something fall and grunt, moan pretty loudly in the window, well right below my window. It wasn't enough to wake my parents, but definitely loud enough I didn't mistake it, and it sent a shock of fear through me. If you aren't familiar with a window, well, it's a semi-circle hole connected to the house, dug out about three or four feet deep and reinforced with metal. It allows the basement window to be put in below ground level in the hole. Let some natural light in. There is no way Terry would have fallen in our window well. We had been playing hide-and-seek and many outdoor games for years since we were young around the whole neighborhood. 
We knew everyone's window wells and house footprints plus paths in the woods like the back of our hands. The grunt sounded humanish and not like an animal. It also pulled itself out quietly without a lot of thrashing. That's when I realized this wasn't a fun game and someone something was out there and it wasn't Terry. I tried to look outside my window as best I could, but there was a screen on my windows to keep the bugs out so I couldn't lean my head out the window to see next to the wall of our house directly below me. I then heard the crunch of rocks as whatever it was stepping in the noisy gravel. Again, Terry would know where the log rounds were and would not step in the gravel. He knew my parents were pretty strict and he was as good at being quiet as I was. Whatever it was stopped and I held my breath. I pretty much sat there with my face pressed against the screen two stories up for probably a half hour. It seemed like an hour, but I'm sure I didn't have patience back then to wait that long. I never heard it him or leave, but I grew tired and eventually fell asleep on my bed that was next to the window. There are a few things I'm certain of. It wasn't Terry. I asked him later, and he said he went to bed that night when he got home. He also would have no reason to lie. I'm pretty sure wasn't one of our neighbors, and I can't think of any reason a person would be there. We had few neighbors, and only two other houses out of seven had kids. Again, these seven houses were spread out in 2.5 plus acres per home. There weren't any big animals in the area. As wooded as the whole area was, we only had some deer, but they were hunted and didn't come close to homes. Plus, our dogs scared them away. My boyfriend and I were camping alone in the mountains of Colorado in early June. There was still snow covering the top of the mat where we were, and there was little to no nature around. I woke up in the middle of the night to something lifting me in the corner of the tent. Freaked out! I quickly awoke my boyfriend with this strong urge to go out and shoot whatever was lifting the tent, which he refused to let me do. He yelled at it, and it stopped, but late that night it happened again, but we slept through it. When morning came, we saw that there was no prints in the snow or any trace of an animal. What could it have been? This story comes from a good buddy of mine, goes by the name of Didos. Maybe you have heard of him. Regardless, part of Navy SEAL training is wilderness survival just in case they need to survive somewhere for a good time before they get repocked up. Said seal in question was dropped of in LBL and told to survive a week. The seal poked around and surveyed his surroundings. He was in a small clearing with extremely thick woods in front of him. Then, out of the dense woods, came an entity that defied imagination. It was a Caucasian man, about six feet two, but totally naked. The thing had no genitalia whatsoever. It also had no face like fabric stretched over a softball. What's funny is those woods were so thick it would be impossible for any human being to get through them. But this thing made it through no problem. The woods were about 30 yards in front of him. He pulled out his AR and mag, dumped 30 rounds into this thing right in the middle of the chest, center mass. However, no blood or viscera came out the bullets just seeming passed through it. Its skin looked like ripped paper instead of normal skin. The monster was walking towards him when it was ten yards away, and after he was out of ammo, he threw down his rifle and pulled out his sidearm. 
He managed to get only seven bullets through the humanoid's brain before the monster reached him. It was then the two of them got in wrestling match. The monster was extremely strong, but not to the point a human could not fight back. However, a normal person not in peak physical condition would not stand a chance. The man that told Diodos the story said he wrestled this thing for three hours. However, Diodos does not believe it. Regardless, after three hours, the two of them were about five feet away from one another and breathing extremely hard, both of them totally exhausted. The thing's chest rose and fell like a normal person, despite the face it had no mouth. Its body was also covered in sweat. The monster backpedaled one step at a time. The seal could tell it was glaring at him and seemed very angry. Even though it had no face, he could somehow tell it seemed upset. The monster backed into the deep brush where it came from originally and disappeared, never to be seen again. I honestly think this monster was not expecting its victim to fight as ferociously as the seal did. If the man had not been as ridiculous fit as he was, I'm thoroughly convinced he would have died. Fortunately, when it comes to fitness, you would be hard-pressed to find someone better shaped than a seal. So I guess there are two lessons to be learned from this tale. <laughs> there is more weird, unexplainable things in the woods than you could ever shake a stick at. Navy seals are badass. I grew up on Pine Island in Lee County, Florida. I lived with my grandparents who always kept our dogs chained up outside at night. Late one night, the dogs started barking uncontrollably. This was unusual behavior for them, but not unheard of. My grandfather opened the front door and yelled at them to stop. Normally, they would listen to him, but that night they just kept barking. The next morning, as the sun came up, my grandfather went outside. I ran out with him like I always did. There was a large pine tree that stood at the corner of our property. Beyond that was an empty lot. There were no other homes around our house, just canals and swamps. My grandfather started walking out toward the tree, and I was following behind. As we approached, I looked up and saw what my grandfather was looking at. A huge limb was broken off. It was around ten feet up and six to eight inches round. In the sand under the tree were extremely large footprints that led down toward the canal. I trailed behind my grandfather as he followed them to the water. The strides between the footprints were around three feet. We followed the steps to where they walked into the canal. My grandfather was Native American. He looked at me and said, If you don't bother them, they won't bother you. I asked him who, but... He never said a word. He just turned around and walked back up to the house. Many years later, I moved into a rural house and property in Lee County with my kids. I owned several acres of woods and swamp across the road. I was sitting outside on my porch late night when I began to hear knocking sounds. I didn't think much about it. It would happen a few times a week. Then one early morning at around 3 a.m., I saw the silhouette of a large person standing on the edge of the woods across the road. I ran inside and grabbed my gun and a spotlight, but when I got back outside, no one was there. My kids used to walk her dog along the dirt road in the evening. One night they came back and told me they saw a big monkey swinging from tree to tree. I just chalked it up to kids and their imaginations. Then I came across a video of a young Bigfoot swinging in the trees. I had my son look at the video, and I asked him if this is what he saw. 
Yes, sir, he said. I started to research more about Bigfoot, but then I remembered what I saw with my grandfather when I was younger. It was like someone turned on a switch. I sat down with both of my kids, and I had a talk with them. I told the kids not to talk about them and not to bother them. Then I repeated what my grandfather had told me all those years ago. If you don't bother them, they won't bother you. After that, I sat almost every evening and listened to the wood knocking. I never felt like I was in danger or threatened in any way. Months later in late night, my lady friend was outside getting something out of her car. The next thing I knew, she was honking her horn. I came running outside and she was crying hysterically. She told me something was in the woods, shaking the branches and growling at her. I later found out that this lady friend was not a good person. I wondered if my friends in the woods sensed something was bad about her and were just watching out for me. My name is Christian. I'm from Hawaii. I figured you may find this interesting, though, and to be honest, I just want to share the experience with a group of, like, minded individuals after keeping it to myself for so many years. I'm 30. Two now. This happened to me around the age of 16 in 2007. I grew up in a small town on the island of Oahu, squeezed between the ocean and the long cliff mountain. I lived across the street from where this occurred. In the forest, they butted up against the property of one of my best friend's family. And three or four of my friends got a hold of some wood and built a deck under a huge ketoway tree on that we put a really big camping tent on. We called it the base. We had a bare mattress on a box spring in there, a coffee table, and two old seats we took from an abandoned van we had found on the roadside. This experience happened probably six months after we set it up. My friend and I were sitting in the tent, as usual. I was sitting on the mattress, and my buddy was playing a new song he'd been learning on the van seat, closest to the tent door. The other seat sat empty to his right in the corner of the tent. We were there for a while passing the guitar back and forth. But as he was sitting there playing, showing me the chords up for this song, the sun was shining on the tent wall behind him, and the shadows of the tree branches were gently swaying on the wall. This part is a bit hard to explain, but as I was listening to the guitar, this specific part of a branch shadow on the tent wall above the empty van seat caught my eye as it looked like there were two eyes on it swaying with the shadow. As soon as I looked directly at the two eyes, a face started to materialize, and within probably five seconds, there was a fully materialized kid sitting in the chair looking at me. I'd never felt or experienced anything like this before, then or since. A chill ran down my body, and I got that feeling like my entire skin caught on fire. My eyes started welling up with tears, and I couldn't breathe. The kid looked to be about ten or eleven and wore a very distinct outfit. He was in a brown button-up vest and a white shirt underneath with a super-pronounced sharp-pointed collar. He had blonde hair combed neatly to the side and pale white skin. He locked eyes with me as I sat there frozen but trying as hard as I could breathe. While I basically started convulsing, my friend looked up and freaked out. He threw the guitar on the bed and grabbed my arm to pull me out of the tent. He was screaming, "'Was that a ghost? What the heck was that?' as we started running through the woods, but I still couldn't get any breath into me to respond. I felt like I was choking. 
The woods were a tangled mess with tightly packed trees and big patches of head-high grass. Moran tumbled straight through it instead of taking the tight little trail we normally use. We headed back to our friend's property. When we finally broke out of the forest of the property, our other friend was actually there washing his mom's Tacoma in the driveway. It wasn't a surprise to him that we were coming out of there from the hangout spot, but his first words to us as we ran towards him was, Holy crap, what did you guys see? The friend I was with yelled, Ghost! We ran right past him to the main driveway, jumped on our bikes, and without even saying anything, rode in opposite directions to our houses. This was in broad daylight, probably two or three in the afternoon. I rode straight back to my house, jumped in bed, and just cried. I couldn't shake the feeling. I felt gross and completely creeped out. It's still hard to explain the feeling it put me in as a teenager growing up in that area, and at the time we pride ourselves on being tough and strong, and it was completely out of character for me, but this experience completely shook me. I have no explanation for it to this day. There's more that may or may not be connected to this, but a month later, four of us were exploring in the forest, probably a quarter mile straight up towards the mountain from the base, which was actually just a steep 200-foot overgrown rock cliff that ran the length of our town above the forest. We found a small cave. It was a ground level about knee-high and probably six feet wide. It looked like it went in a good way. We were all super surprised that we had never seen it before because we thought we knew every inch of this forest. Just to the right of the cave is a small pile of rocks that had crumbled down from the cliff, and a piece of bone was laying between two of the rocks. I thought it was part of a bird skull, since we very often found them, and always brought them back to the base and had a pretty large collection at that point. I grabbed it, pulled it up from between the rocks, and it turned out to be the front of a human skull. The back was broken off, but it was a forehead, both eye sockets, nose, and teeth. As soon as we all realized what it was, it felt like I got hit with an electric shock. I dropped the skull, and we were all losing our minds at the find. My heart felt like it was exploding out of my chest, and I was shaking uncontrollably. We all got down, looked into the cave afterward, and saw the rest of the skeleton inside. The rib cage was closest to the front of the opening, and we can see other bones tucked farther back in. They looked old. The strange part of this was that less than a week later we went back to see the skeleton with some other friends, and when we got to the spot, the cave was completely filled in with small rocks that fit together perfectly like a tight-fitting rock wall, completely filling the cave opening without any mortar. And directly in front of it was a tie plant that wasn't there before, but it didn't look like it was planted recently. It looked like it had grown out of the ground right there. My leaves are used to wrap around stones to be left in the forest as offerings to the spirits just as some context as to the plant that was there. This area was behind my friend's property and was really only accessible through the property, and we still have no explanation as to how anyone could have come within the week to wall up the cave and plant the tie plant or have even known that we found the skeleton. Having that happen paired with us having the kid materialize in the tent with us is almost too strange and should not be connected somehow. This weekend, while hunting off of Salmonbury Road off Highway 26, I was looking for bear tracks on a trail that I have hunted before. 
Anyway, when I came out the trail's end on one of the logging roads, I decided to take a walk up the road with my fiancé. I always keep an eye on the sides of the roads for tracks to see where an animal may have crossed. Well, about half a mile up, I saw a track with very desirable toes, five, and I put my foot up next to the print, and a size twelve, and the print was about the same. The funny thing was, the print looked like the foot was broken and healed wrong. I do know that it was not human, and it definitely was not any type of animal I hunt for. My fiancé also saw this print as well. As we first hit the trail, I should mention we both heard a howl, the likes of nothing I've never heard before in my life. The hair on the back of my neck stood on end. Even my fiancé said that it was the weirdest thing she ever heard. There was no noticeable odor in the air at that time. This was all in the morning at about 6.10 a.m. I will be checking this area again in about a week. I will not forget that howl or moan for as long as I live. It is Monday, and I can still hear it in my head. This was about four or five-ish years ago. Back then, I lived with my mother in a shed on a farm surrounded by woodland. Our farmland was part of a larger piece of farmland that was split up and sold off, so we did have neighbors. But they were roughly half a kilometer away each. We loved that cause of the privacy. It wasn't like there was nobody nearby I couldn't go to if I needed help. That thought is what had me fearlessly walking alone at night between the hours of 7-8 p.m., sometimes fluctuating from earlier to later, depending on the day. Sometimes I even went out on a walk at 2 a.m. in the morning because I was restless and couldn't sleep. Looking back, this was incredibly stupid, and after this incident, I never walked after 6 p.m. ever again, always making sure there was at least some sunlight left when I set out. The route I always took was a road circuit. The first part was out in the open in front of all the other farms, including my own. If anything had happened, at least one person would notice, and reception was pretty good, so I would have also been able to call someone. The second half, on the other hand, was concealed by about 200 meters of woods between the farms and the back road stretching the full two kilometers at the back of the farm, and it was during that part of the walk when I had this creepy encounter. It was late at night. I can't remember what time exactly, but it was pitch black with the exception of my torchlight. I was about to approach the turn in the loop that would bring me out into the open again when I heard it. Help! It was this monotone voice that repeatedly asked for help. It didn't seem panicked in the least. I took my headphones out and turned my music off to make sure I was hearing correctly, but... Yeah, it didn't stop. Help. Help. The very stupid part of me almost responded because for some reason my first instinct was, Oh no, someone's in trouble like a naive kid, even though I would have been like 16 or 17 at the time. Of course, then my brain kicked in and I realized that approaching that voice was just about the stupidest thing I could do, so I started quietly backing away. Unfortunately, my cat had followed me on the walk and wasn't backing away with me, no, she was walking towards the voice, softly hissing. I remember desperately trying to get her to come back towards me without alerting the voice to my presence, just in case they hadn't noticed me yet. But I was getting scared and didn't want to stay there a moment more, so I ran forwards and grabbed her, then turned around and bolted back towards my house. I don't know if it was stupid of me to turn my back to the voice as I was making so much noise while running that there was no way they didn't know I was there, and I had no way of knowing if they were given chase. 
I was so terrified that whole time. The image of someone cloaked in shadows chasing me entered my mind, and even though I couldn't hear anyone behind me, I never once slowed down until I was back safe and sound within my house. It doesn't end there, though. Despite how terrifying it was, there was still a part of me that was concerned about whoever it was. Because what if they really had needed help? So I asked my mother to drive us to the location, another very stupid decision considering what we found. The being nothing, we called out and called out, but nobody answered. We didn't get out of our car, though. Luckily, neither of us were that stupid. We drove home, having seen nothing and no one. But it still bothered me in the morning, so I had my mother drive us over again, and we searched the immediate area. Nothing, no indication that anyone had been there. There was no body, which admittedly was a drastic thing to search for, but I know shock can leave you eerily calm, which could have explained the monotone voice, and the lack of response afterwards made me fear that we'd been too late and we'd find the body in the morning. I don't know if I would preferred this outcome, because at least then I would have had a face to the voice. But no, we found absolutely nothing, and to this day I have no idea who that voice belonged to and why they were monotonously calling out for help. My mind has naturally come to some chilling conclusions and theories that leave me unable to sleep. Rapist, kidnapper, serial killer, all the classic horror stories, but I guess I'll never really know for sure. I had gone camping with two friends of mine in the desert above a dry lake bed. At night, the moon was so bright that you could see pretty well around the campsite. We could see a few other camps on the other side of the lake bed, but definitely not close enough to hear anyone from those camps. I decided to not attach the rain fly to my tent to enjoy the view of the stars that night. I ended up waking up around 3.45 a.m. Couldn't go back to sleep for some time, just tossing and turning. I could very clearly hear both of my friends snoring when I hear a whisper say you awake in one of my friends' voices, and I didn't hear any footsteps to or from the camp, but I stayed awake for another hour or so after hearing that. When everyone eventually woke up the next morning, even though I knew the answer, I asked my friends if either of them woke up around 3.45 and asked if I was awake. Both of them slept through the night. At the time, I was a 20-year-old female, and I had just moved alone to a small town in upstate New York. I had grown up in another slightly larger town, about 60 miles away, and just wanted a new start. I love camping, often go camping in the Adirondacks, but at that time I hadn't yet made friends to go camping with, so I wasn't going to go into the real woods alone. Down the road from me, I had been walking and found an area where the power lines cut through a wooded section. The power lines were perpendicular to the road. It was near a house, but far enough to the right of the house where I thought people wouldn't mind if I walked up the trail that the power lines make. Not sure about other countries, but in the United States, they keep power lines clear in case maintenance is necessary. So... I wander up there, noticing now it's actually pretty deep woods and I can get far enough from the house that I saw on the road that they couldn't possibly think I'm trying to break in or anything. Dang, idea. I could go camping up here. It's secluded enough to give the real woods experience, but close enough to the road that I wouldn't be in real danger of wildlife or anything. Okay, sweet. 
So I do. I set up camp in this little clearing that I accessed by climbing the hill, following the power lines, then turned left onto what seemed to be a deer trail. Deer are everywhere in New York. Then I came upon this really nice, flat, grassy clearing. I built my fire off to the side after making sure to clear the dead wood, etc. I'm feeling really smart and independent. It was creepy to sleep in the woods alone, as I had always had at least one camping companion, but, hey, whatever. Next day I decided to wander further down the path to see where it leads. I walked for about a half hour, and I can see some fields on the right, but they are in the distance, and there is a fence between the fields and the path. So again, I figure people can't be mad at me being here. Then I come across another path, heading to the right. I follow it. A couple of feet in, it curves slightly, and there is an old van on the left of the path. Well, that's strange, but it's about 1 p.m. near noon anyway. Broad daylight, birds are chirping, so I feel no danger. I go up to the van, which had obviously been there a very long time. It was 70s style. Made me think of Scooby-Doo van, and way overgrown with weeds. There are streaks of brownish-red going down the side, from the bottom of the doors. I look in and see what appears to be old bedding in the back, but it was all shredded. The curtains in the windows were shredded, and the clothing strewn about looked like it was from the 70s or early 80s. I still felt no danger signs. Snickering at the terrible fashions back in the day, I continue along the path for a short time, until I finish rounding a slight bend. I stop dead in my tracks. Finally, my reptile sense, or whatever you want to call it, wakes the hell up and starts screaming at me, full volume. Up ahead, there's a creepy-ass doll hanging from the trees, by its neck, with a rope, not just stuck in the trees. Just to the left of that, there is an old garage, overgrown with weeds. To the right of it, though, there is this huge cage-like structure, easily big enough to hold a full-sized man. It seems to be made up of pipes and other long metal objects just kind of welded together. Some were up and down. Some were cross, and the squares they made weren't big enough to fit my head through. Not that I tried. Well, it had four sides and a ceiling. It had other creepy-ass dolls hanging from it. It also had reddish-brown stains running down the sides, just like the van. Further behind it, there is a run-down house. Creeped out as all hell. I just turned tail and ran. I'm not a runner. I am a chunky girl. I had smoked for six years at that point, and I do not run. But I ran that day. I don't even remember the run. I just remember coming upon my campsite, grabbing my tent in one swoop as I ran past. Luckily, I had put my things into the tent, ripping it out of the ground as I continued running. I had left my cooler, my food, behind. Never went back for it, either. I dropped the tent stakes somewhere along the way, and I had to repair rips in my tent. I tore down the hill. I'm still surprised I didn't break my neck, jumped in my car, and sped home. I locked all my doors, then paced my house, going with the... What the F? For hours. It's been eleven years since that incident, and even typing it now makes my hands shake. I now live almost fourteen hundred miles away, but I still just made sure my doors were locked. They are. Crazy thing is, 
It wasn't in deep woods. Maybe in the seventies it was, though, who knows. As it stands now, though, there are people living within a short walk of this place. And no, I know you are going to ask. No, I didn't call the cops. I can't really articulate why. My best analysis, looking back, is that I didn't want that creep to come find me. I should have, yes. You were right. I am hoping that it was just an old crime scene, not some sick F who still keeps people in cages in the woods. So crazy man or woman who built a human-sized cage in the woods and thinks hanging dolls is good feng shui, let's not meet.